I think you would agree with me that sometimes life can be overwhelming. You agree with that? As you roll in with a broken foot, sorry. Life can be such a struggle at times. Trials are very real. You think about it with me just for a few moments. Think about in the area of finances. I imagine there's someone in this room, if not someone, there's some who are dealing with some debt struggles in this room, according to what the stats will tell me. Maybe it's the car payment or the two car payments. Maybe it's how am I going to make my mortgage payment or my rent payment. Maybe it's dealing with the credit card debt that's been piling up. Maybe it's dealing with student loans that piled up or the future student loans. You're thinking, how am I going to pay for my kids' college? Whatever it is in the area of finances, probably all of us feel that pressure or that struggle or that trial at some level in our lives. It might be work. You feel like I put in more and more work, but I just can't get caught up. It's like wrestling through quicksand or, or you wake up each day and you're going to a job that, quite honestly, you hate. You wake up and think, I've got to go to work today because i got bills to pay, but I really don't want to be going to this place. And it's a struggle every day to wake up and be motivated to go to work for something you don't enjoy doing. Or for many, as it's becoming more and more normal in our culture, is you have your main job and your spouse maybe has their main job, but then you have a side hustle going on. Because just to make the extra ends meet, well, I got to make a little bit extra money doing this or doing this or adding on a second job because there's just not enough there. Maybe it's the health situation going on in life. A lot of people are struggling with health areas. Maybe for you, it's you got some extra aches and pains that you've been dealing with and now you're taking more medication that you're like, I didn't want to take the medication and now I'm taking extra medication. Or maybe you're on some meds because of emotional health struggles, depression or anxiety is going on and that's becoming more and more normal in our society. Maybe you're just dealing with some mental struggles or frustrations or you're finding yourself getting angry often and having a very short fuse. Maybe it's body image issues like being too heavy or being too thin or thinking, I just don't like the way I look. Those kinds of struggles are very real and they go on and on and on in our society. Maybe it's dealing with addictions like drugs or alcohol or porn or or food or or gaming. Those things are real and they're real in our society. And if we're going to be honest, church, we cannot put blinders on and go, well, they don't happen here because we're we're Christians. It's It's not in this world. That's not true. And if anybody tells you, well, you become a Christian, all these problems are going away, well, that's a lie right from Satan because the Scripture tells us that in this world you will have struggles. In this world you will have trials. And there is nothing that tells us just because I start following Christ that all the trials and all the struggles are now going to go away and be perfect. That is not true. You think about school There's major pressure in school. Moms and dads, we put pressures on our kids. You should get A's. You should get B's. I want you exceeding. I want you to get a scholarship. I want you to be able to go to the nice college. Um, Sometimes for some, school is such a struggle because they wake up every day and they know I struggle to learn. Mom and dad, I'm trying really hard to do the math, but I just don't get it. That was my problem. That's why I'm a preacher. Just didn't connect. Two plus two always equals six. That's not true. I struggle with math. Somebody is struggling with English. Somebody is struggling with, comp- with comprehension. There's all kinds of struggles, and then that pressure builds upon us. Learning challenges are a very real thing, and some are dealing with that, whether you're in elementary school or high school or college or back to school again. For some in this room, maybe the struggle is a loss of a loved one. 
It's loss of a parent, maybe loss of a child, loss of a friend, loss of an aunt, loss of an uncle. Maybe it was recent, last three, six months, last year. Maybe it's been three years, five years, ten years, and you still have anxiety and struggle from that because you're thinking, I wish I would have said, I wish I would have done, I wish I could still do with that person who you're thinking about. You miss them deeply and you're dealing with some regrets of things that never got to finish with that person. Possibly the struggle in the room could be family issues. Could be marriage issues. Maybe the marriage is flat. You're just kind of coexisting. Maybe it's a relationship issue. Like I wish I had someone in my life. I want to get married. That's my desire and it's just not happening. Maybe it's the marriage is in deep trouble and you know that divorce court is right around the corner and the papers are about ready to be signed. You have challenges. Your children maybe and your family are making choices that you don't agree with and you wish they'd make more godly choices, whether that be they're 10 years old or 15 years old or 25 years old or 50 years old. And you're like, I wish my kids would wake up and just listen to God and do things according to God's way. The burdens and the struggles of this life are real. And until Jesus returns, we have to learn, how do I walk in this life and deal with these burdens and these struggles and these trials? How do I do this? Big or small, each and every one of us have these burdens or these trials every single day. Here's the encouraging news. We are no different than Jesus Christ. Now you stop and you go, wait a minute, preacher, I'm way different than Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross. He was perfect. He was sinless. That's not me. When I say no different than Jesus Christ, when we stop and look at the life of Jesus, and you look at Jesus, flesh and blood, skin, bone, breathing flesh in Jesus, the, the human Jesus, we look at his life and we see that he had trials and he had struggles. And I want us to consider a few scriptures today which show us just some of the trials that Jesus had. Now, we know life can be hard. Isaiah called Jesus a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. In other words, he understood grief. It's easy to think of the difficulties that Jesus had when we think about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We think about the opposition of the religious leaders, and we think about the unbelief of his neighbors, and we think about the terrible weight of him taking the sin in the world. It's easy for us to go, yeah, well, he had some trials and struggles, but man, I'm not going to the cross. So how can my trials and struggles be anything like what Jesus had and how can Jesus possibly understand my trials and struggles? Because he didn't really deal with stuff that I deal with. Sometimes that's our attitude or our thinking. But before Jesus launched his ministry, before things got off the ground, so to speak, Jesus faced some difficulties in the daily patterns of life, just as we do. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 69. Psalm 69, this is known as a messianic passage. It's a prediction about Jesus before Jesus lived. So this this psalm was written, it was penned before Jesus ever was born, before Jesus ever lived his life. The psalmist wrote these words predicting what's going to be Jesus' life, and it comes true then later as part of his life. In Psalm 69, beginning with verse 7, it says, For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. So in other words, pain and suffering is going to come my way. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. Did that not happen to Jesus that his own family didn't accept him? He wasn't even welcomed in his own hometown, and his brothers thought he was kind of out there on a limb, so to speak. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult me are... 
those who insult you fall on me. A zeal for his house. In other words, Jesus wanted to be in the temple. He wanted to be around the religious leaders. He wanted to learn about God. We know that when he was 12 years old, his mom and dad left him behind because why? He was back learning from the religious leaders. He had a zeal to be around the word of a God. He said, I got to learn from these great leaders. I got to understand God's word. And then it says those people insult me though. So they were making fun. Look at Jesus going back to the temple again. Oh, he must be one of those God freaks, so to speak. He must be a crazy Jesus freak is what we would call him today, right? He's, he's got that extra zeal, that passion to know God. And people made fun of him. Oh, you're going to church again. Oh, you're going to Bible study again. Oh, you're going to hang around those religious people again. I can't believe you're doing that because he had zeal to be around the word of God. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. Weep and fast means he's praying. When he's praying, he endures scorn what people making fun of him. Oh, Jesus is gone again. Where's Jesus at? Oh, he's off praying again. He's fasting again. Can you believe he's doing that? That boy, what's, what's gotten into his head? When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Where does it make fun of me? When I put on that sackcloth, they're making fun of me. And those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am a song of the drunkards. Those who are drinking too much make up songs. I mean, can you imagine? There goes Jesus to the temple. What's he doing today? I mean, they make all these crazy songs. We're going to write that one, put a beat to it. We're singing it next week. They make all these crazy songs just mocking Jesus as a young lad who had a hunger and desire to know God, his father. And because he pursued God, there he are, people being made fun of him. Psalm gives us a picture into the childhood and the younger years. Think about a situation of personal pain in your life. Maybe you can remember, maybe you're walking through it right now. Well, I'm not accepted or I'm not invited or people are making fun of me because, well, I do this, this, and this with God. And so people don't understand or participate in it. Think about John the Baptist and Jesus. They were cousins. And we don't know much about their time growing up together because Scripture doesn't give us much insight into it, but I think we can make some assumptions that they were, at least had a kinship or a friendship, and that increased when John was called to prepare the way for Jesus' ministry. He went before Jesus, kind of preparing the people, and for the first one and a half years of John's ministry, he was kind of known as the Billy Graham of the day. He would go out and preach and teach and say, there's one who is coming, there's one coming greater than me, the Savior of the world, he's on his way. And people came here to, came to hear him preach from all over Judea, and the crowds were great. I think it gave, personally, I think it gave Jesus some extra time to prepare for crucial ministry that was coming as he spent time with his first disciples, Andrew and Peter and John and Philip and Nathaniel. He spent the extra time with them because John the Baptist was out preparing the way. And the ministry of John was so crucial to the ministry ministry of Jesus as he says, listen, there is one that's coming, there's one that's coming, there's one that's coming, there's a Savior that is coming. He's preparing a way. But imagine the suffering and the pain that Jesus must have experienced when he heard the news that John the Baptist, his friend, and his family member was beheaded. And his head served on a platter to the king on the king's birthday. You think that wasn't painful for Jesus? Man, this hurts. The one who's doing ministry with me, the one who's preparing the way, getting things set up, has been beheaded. That would be some suffering. And Jesus in his pain, Jesus in his humanity, in his flesh and blood and skin, surely that, that bothered him. 
Because what did he do with that? How did he handle that? How did Jesus respond? Well, he withdrew to a solitary place. He went across the lake. That was his pattern. He got away to go to pray. Lane covered this pattern two weeks ago. What did Jesus do in his life? He withdrew. He got up very early in the morning while it was what? You guys are a little faster than first service, but we may go back to that sermon and re-preach it again. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, I like to call that before the chickens got out of bed, Jesus got up, went off to a solitary place where he what? Where he prayed. Church, if we get nothing else out of this series, teach me to pray, you've got to have your place. You've got to have your place and you've got to have your time. And that for Jesus was very early in the morning. Now I know we say, oh, I can't get up that early. Now that, that's crazy, Brian. I'm up late. I do this, I do that. May I suggest change your life so you can get up early in the morning. Well, but, well anyway, Brian, I do it when I'm driving in my car. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to school. I'm going to work. Yeah, you're praying. That driver, I'm going to kill him. Lord, help me not, help me not kill him. That's what you're praying Oh, I do that at nighttime. Really? So everything else becomes before God. Now, let me, I, I don't want to step on your toes too hard, but if you don't get up in the morning and begin your day with God, you're saying, God, Facebook, my work, my kids, my job, uh, my sports activities, all the places I run. Now, God, you and I, we'll talk at the end of the day. You're telling God you get the last part of my day instead of the first part of my day. Is that the right way to live? See, the way we begin our day is the way we will live our day. And Jesus knew that. And he set the pattern. He said, very early in the morning I got up. Can I tell you a little trick I've learned? Y'all want to learn a little trick to help you out? Two little tricks, actually. Say, I, I have a hard time getting up in the morning. I got a chance to share this at the pastor's conference that Brian and I are at when I chance to share the devotion. Two little things I've been learning has been helping my time with God dramatically. One is when I go to bed, I pray, Lord, wake me up when you want me to get up. <laughs> Some of y'all don't like that, huh? <laughs> wake me up when you want me to get up. Now, sometimes God and I don't agree on that time. Because when it's 3 a.m. and I roll over and go, God, now's not the time. Give me another 30 minutes, another 40 minutes. Can I please get some more time? Sometimes he blesses me with some more time. Sometimes, though, I can't go back to sleep. And I've learned I've got to get up and go to my prayer closet. You say, all right, God, what do we got to do? So that's trick number one. One, if you want to improve your prayer life, you say, I want to learn this morning thing. Even if you're not a morning person. I used to never be a morning person. Now I have been for several years, but that's, that's a trick you learn. Just pray, Lord. Now you still set your alarm, but Lord, wake me up. You will get to the point where you don't need to set your alarm. Lord, you wake me up when you need me to. You can ask my wife, my alarm never goes off anymore. Lord, you wake me up when you want me to get up. That's trick number one. Okay, very early in the morning. Lord, you wake me up. Trick number two is this. Use some of the settings that are on your devices of your phone to control your phone so your phone doesn't control you. So what do you mean by that? If you have an iPhone, which I have an iPhone, there's a thing called screen time on there. You can go into your screen time and you can turn off certain apps and you can set times of when your phone will ring, when your phone will not ring, when, you th when, you're, when you'll receive notifications, you won't receive notifications. So I set from 4 a.m. until 8 a.m., I turn off everything but my Bible app and my texting because it's, it comes in silently in case someone needs to get a hold of me. You say, well, why do you do that? Because I struggle with getting distracted. So I get up in the morning, what do I do? Well, what was my email? What's on Facebook? What's ESPN do last night? Also, you look at all that stuff, and you're like, oh, where's my quiet time with God? It all got distracted. Anybody else been there before? Yeah, two of you are honest. Three, okay. 
That's good. We all get distracted. TVs, they get us distracted. Don't put, I don't have a TV in my room for that reason, one of the reasons. And so you, you, you take control of your life and you say, Lord, I want to get up early in the morning and spend time with you. Lord, wake me up when you want me to get up. You start bringing that bold prayer, he'll start waking you up. Now, Lord, I've got my spot. Sometimes I go to my spot. One of the teenagers asked me a few weeks ago, Brian, what do you do in your prayer spot? I said, sometimes I go there and I just sit. It's just a commitment that I'm going to go there. And then sometimes that leads to opening your Bible, reading his devotional material. It leads to then talking with God in prayer. But make a commitment. Lord, I want to get up. That's what Jesus did. That's how he dealt with the pressures of life. He got up very early in the morning, went off to a quiet place, a solitary place where he prayed. And so John the Baptist is beheaded. What does Jesus do? I got to get away to where? A quiet place. Where's that? On the other side of the lake. If you read the rest of the text, the people followed. They're like, where's Jesus going? We want to go. But he knew I've got to get away. Why? I got to talk to God. I got to talk to my dad. Dad, my friend just lost his life. They just cut his head off. Some of you are in that spot. My loved one has cancer. My friend just passed. The car wreck that just took place. Or maybe it was someone took my friend's life. What do you do? You go and you walk and you talk with God in a quiet, quiet place. That's how you develop your walk with God. You think about the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he actually goes to the cross. Now think about the things that led up to that. There's the plot to have Jesus arrested and, and, and Judas is all part of that plot by saying, now listen, the one that I, I kiss on a cheek, he's the one. You're going to arrest him. There's that plot all being all put together. Judas and, and one of the disciples then, you know, making a plot to, be, to betray Jesus. Jesus has his last meal with his disciples. And imagine the conversation that takes place as he's talking with his disciples and sharing, this is our last meal. He, at that meal, predicts that Peter will deny him. So he knows that two of his friends that are right there, they're, they're going to deny him. They're going to turn their backs on him. You ever had a friend turn their back on you? Someone who you thought loved you, someone who cared for you, maybe a coworker who stabbed you in the back? It, it happened to Jesus too. It happened to him. What did Jesus do with that? Matthew 26, verse 36 says, Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, You sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Have you ever been so sorrowful and troubled that you're crying out in prayer? That's Jesus doing. His friends are over here. Jesus is over here praying. He's sorrowful and troubled. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watching. So he says, you all stay here. I'm going to go over here. Why is Jesus over here? Again, you know, he's a human. I'm going to go over here to talk to my dad. Dad, I just had the last meal with his disciples. Dad, I... Peter's going to deny me. You've been telling me about that. Dad, that Judas, he's already been plotting against me. Dad, I, the cross is coming. And if you read the text further, is when he starts crying out and saying, is there some other way? Is there some other way? Do I have to go to that cross? If not, then your will be done. He has that very intimate prayer, that very intimate conversation right there in the garden with his dad talking through all this stuff of life and what is going on. Dad, here's what's taking place. And that was the pattern of Jesus' life. Now, one thing I don't have time to get into, his friends who were supposed to keep watch did what? Fell asleep. So they're supposed to keep watch. So I'm over here praying. What are they keeping watch for? For the guards that are probably going to be coming. 
They're supposed to keep watch, and they fall asleep. You ever have a friend just kind of fall asleep on you? They've just disappeared, so to speak, right? Oh, you're supposed to be there by my side, and now you're absent. You're not there. What happened to you? They fell asleep on you is what happened. They weren't there in your time of need. They weren't there for Jesus in the time of need. They missed the boat, so to speak. That was a pattern of Jesus' life when he was fully human. He, he would go through trial and struggle and difficulty and preaching and teaching. And then he, he had this time of prayer. And that was the rhythm. I pray, but I go into life. I pray, but I walk through life. How did he do that? He did that as he walked with God. Daily walking with his father, learning how can I do this? How do I make it through this life? I need your direction. What's next, Dad? How do I handle this? How do I handle that? Where are we going? What am I going to say? How are we going to do life? He walked with God in all these trials and these struggles. Look how the Hebrew writer describes Jesus when it comes to prayer in Hebrews chapter 5. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So because he was reverent submission, he had the right authority position, knowing that God is in charge. He knew he could take his prayers. He went to prayers that were full of tears and crying, and it says, son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So he learned what? He learned obedience. Wait, Jesus had to learn to obey? Yeah. Jesus, Jesus was human. He had to learn obedience. And so he learned obedience through what? Through suffering. Just think about that for a moment. In other words, our suffering has a purpose? It does. The trial you're walking in, the hardship you're walking in, it has a purpose to teach you obedience to the Father. So as I walk through this trial, I'm trying to learn how do I walk in obedience of faith, in obedience of trust, that God is sovereign and that God is good and he has it all under control and I can trust in his goodness and I can trust in his sovereignty for who he is. And I trust in that fully and completely and so I'll be obedient to his plan and his will and his direction for my life even though I'm going through suffering that seems like it's maybe in a long time or I don't like it or I don't enjoy it but I still will walk through it versus run from it. Because that's what we typically do. Typically, we have pain or suffering. What do we do? Lord, take this away from me. Lord, I don't want this. Lord, I want to run from all this pain and suffering versus walking in it and walking with God by our side. So what does it mean for us today? What does it mean if we look at the life of Jesus and we can see clearly, wow, he had trial, he had pain, he had suffering, he prayed through that. What does that mean for us? That, that means we live out exactly what we're instructed to do in Hebrews chapter 4. Look what it says in Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who ascended to heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. So this, after his death, his burial and resurrection, what do he do? 40 days later, he ascends, he sits at the right hand of the Father. And so the, the, the Hebrew writer is saying, because we have this great high priest who basically, who's walked through everything we've walked through, experienced what we've experienced, he says, you hold on to that faith, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, which could mean struggles and trials. He empathizes, he understands, in other words, what we walk in, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. 
So he dealt with pain and trial and suffering. He dealt with temptation. He overcome the temptation, did not go to, did not sin. That's how he could be our savior. He now sits at the right hand of the father. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. Because of who Jesus is, we can approach God's throne with confidence. How do we do that? In prayer. That's when we get on our knees. That's when we get prostrate before God. That's when we cry out to him so that we may receive mercy and grace and find grace to help us in our time of need. So because of what Jesus did, because he's the great high priest, because he empathizes with us, he understands what we walk through, he understands the temptation we go through, he modeled for us in prayer, we hold on to that faith, and because of that, we can go to God in confidence and say, God, here's what I'm walking through, and God says, in that, you'll find mercy and grace. What a great help we have in God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. You know where it all begins, though? In prayer. It all happens in prayer. So I close today just asking you, what decision have you made in the area of prayer? Do you have your place? Do you have your time? Have you started to make adjustments to life to go, this priority has got to be priority number one. And it takes making a decision. Jesus made decisions. He had to make decisions to get up early in the morning. He had to make decisions to trust in God's plan. He had to make decisions that he needed the wisdom and the guidance from God as he did his ministry. And those are decisions that we need to make as well. Today, we're going to move into a time of, of decision in this place. Twice a year, we have what we call decision day. On your chairs, there's a card that looks like this. I want to encourage you to take that card out as the band comes out and gets ready to lead us in this time of decision. Twice a year, we do this every spring and every fall. We just find it is good to encourage us, church, to make faith decisions, to take steps of faith, take steps of, of commitment, so to speak. There's, it's good to have a, a time where you kind of draw a line in the sand and say, I remember on this day I made a commitment with God. Or on this day I took a step with God. So let me talk you through a couple of decisions today that I pray that you will spend a few moments here as we worship and say, God, is it time for me to make a decision? One is I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to follow him by, in baptism today. For some in this room, that's a decision you need to make. It's time to surrender. It's time to say, Lord, I accept you as my Savior. You follow in Christian baptism, uniting with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Others, to mark, I've attended membership class. I want to partner with Centerpoint as a member. We've had a, a couple membership classes. At that class, people have marked and said, this is going to be my church. I want to be a member here. We ask you to make that public at a decision day. And so for some, that may be the thing you do today. Today's my day. I make this public. I make it known to the church that this is my church home and this is where I'm serving. For others, I want to make a, a recommitment to my walk in Christ. Sometimes in life, we can kind of get off the path, so to speak. We can, we can journey to the left or sometimes journey to the right. Sometimes we can take some steps backward. And sometimes it's good to have a day to say, today I make a new commitment. To me, today I make a recommitment. A, a, a confession of repentance is what it is. It's I, I'm making that new U-turn. For others, it's I just need prayer. And maybe you mark that. And today there's some people from our prayer team who are going to be available here to pray with you. Or today I'm deciding to. Maybe you need to fill in your own blank. Today I'm deciding to. Quite possibly, this car could be used for something just you and God sitting right in a chair, but you're going to fill that out and put a date on that, and you're going to put it in your Bible, you're going to put it on your mirror and say, this is my day, I made this decision. For others, I want to encourage you to make a, a decision that is public. So if you want to make one of these decisions that would be a public decision, here in a moment we're going to move to our communion and offering, 
I encourage you to bring this card to me at the cross, and, and Tim Curtis is going to be over there, and we'll be glad to meet you and help you make this a public decision. First service, we had three families come forward and say we want to partner as members. We had a young lady get baptized, nine-year-old get baptized, Anna Hackman, during first service. Maybe that's the kind of decision you want to make. In this room, everybody can make a decision today. We're going to do things a little bit different for our communion and offering. We have stations located in the back of the room. It's a decision to get up and move to the communion table and partake in communion. And when you make that decision, you're saying, I believe in Jesus. By partaking in communion, you're saying, I believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I believe that my sin is done away with. I believe that his grace covers me as you partake in communion. At the tables, there's offering buckets for you to place your offering. That's a decision we make every week. If we're going to give an offering, saying, God, I want to honor you with my tithes and my offering. I want you to have control over my pocketbook and over my money. And so that's a decision that can be made. And so I want to pray. And we're going to worship. And I encourage you to make this a room of decision. Maybe it is moving to table. Maybe it's a personal time with God. Maybe it's carrying a card to the cross as you have an opportunity to make a public decision together. Father.